Hey everybody, welcome back to The Collective. We have another fantastic show for you today. We got James returning, we got Matt returning. I am very excited to have you all back. We're going to be talking uh, for the next hour or so about neutralizing toxicity. But before we get into any of that, I want you all to be hitting the buttons. Like the show, subscribe to the channel, hit the notification bell, do all that good stuff to get your emails in the morning whenever we go live, which is, of course, every day. If you all have any thoughts, questions, comments, anything at all, by all means, put them up in the comment section and we will engage those throughout the show. And as I said, we're going to be hitting neutralizing toxicity, but before we get into anything, let's get some intros. So, James, it's been a little while. I want you to hit us up with 10, 15 seconds. Who are you? Where do you come from? All those good things. Originally from England, firefighter in America as a paramedic as well. 14 years, transitioned out to start a podcast called Behind the Shield. Wrote a book called One More Light and uh, love coming on the show. Thank you. Outstanding. Nice, quick brevity. I like it. Matt, do you want to give a rundown? It's been a week. It's been a week. So I'm still Matthew from last week. Um, Ex-military turned chef, health coach, and now just continue on with education and whatever life throws at me. Bam. I like it. So, uh, like I said earlier, we are going to be talking about neutralizing toxicity. So I will give a quick definition and then we'll pass it around, decide uh, how we want to go with this. So neutralize. What is it when you neutralize something? You make it harmless or ineffective, usually by, by applying its opposite force, like pouring water on fire. So it is to make ineffective by counterbalancing, oppose and mitigate the effects by contrary actions, make incapable of military action, et cetera, et cetera. There's a whole bunch on what neutralize means. And then toxicity is the level of poison contained in a drug or the ability of a drug to poison the body. And then there's a whole other ones, the quality of being poisonous or to, or the degree to which something is poisonous. And there's lots of other things involved in that. Now, we've all come from organizations that have levels of toxicity, physical toxicity, but also interpersonal toxicity as well. And that's really what I want to kind of harp on. But let's go around the table. And what are your guys' first thoughts on what it means to neutralize toxicity? James, we'll start with you. What do you think? I think it is the most important conversation at the moment. Um, whatever you look at, that adorns our screens at the moment there's an element of toxicity and the toxic part is you are forced to choose one of two world war one trenches in flanders fields and die on that subject so i think that we we have allowed division to become today's toxicity that is an interesting start point i like that matt what about yourself first yeah, off i can't repeat that i i totally agree is that right now we're in a society where it's either yes or no and if you're not on my side you're against me so you're toxic about everything there's no middle ground there's no balance there's no communication it's either i'm on here or i'm not there right so um yeah i really like what james was saying there interesting sean first thoughts as always i try to listen to the guests and guests and then come up with my thoughts based on their thoughts so uh james james i believe uh, started us off uh, correctly but now i'm going to play the middle ground on this particular topic and say that uh it's not a binary situation where we have to we're either neutralizing it or we're not and by neutralizing i mean like we solve it like that i mean there's a way to ease into making the world a little bit of a better place and i think that's how division is broken down in the sense of you know i'm not going to sit in my trench and fire at that trench of toxicity with all of my positivity i mean there's got to be a bit of an ebb and flow so that you can connect with that other human being i don't mean that you've got to be a jerk to connect with a jerk and then and then like go all of a sudden super positive. I just mean, I think that to break down some of the division that is going on out there, we have to kind of learn to play with each other in the middle ground for now. Ooh, I like that. That's uh, going back to the uh, the World War One analogy. You got, uh, you got to be able to step up into no man's land together, right? You got to be able to come together somewhere in the middle and actually discuss it. Um, James, you got any other further thoughts on this now that we've gone around the table? Yeah, well, I mean, to use an analogy, the uh, Christmas Day football match in World War One, you know, where the soldiers stepped up and realized their commonalities rather than their differences. I think there's a, there's a powerful takeaway from that. Absolutely. Matt, any other thoughts on this before we dive in too far? No, let's dive into it. Um, I'm liking where this is going. I'm getting Prince's Bride 
vibes here for kind of the neutral neutralizing the toxicity where you, you have to have exposure to it so that you can actually fight against it um and i think that sean is right is that there is a middle ground and even though right now we are polar either yes or no or what right left blue red whatever right um that it has to be we have to come together to a central point and i think yeah let's have this out i like this where it's going Sean, any further points to this? Um, this? These are not original thoughts, of course, because probably I heard it from James Gearing on the Behind the Shield podcast where we're talking about that World War I uh, soccer game at Christmas uh, time kind of thing. I mean, it's an age-old story that uh, doesn't rely on Christmas. It doesn't rely on trenches. It doesn't rely on a, a particular point in history. What it does rely on is strong men and women to kind of like put their egos aside and enter into a communication battle uh, that uh, then tones down the rhetoric or tones down the poisonous atmosphere so that others can see that it can be done. And I literally think that that's what we're doing right now in the real time, in this conversation, of course. But I mean, on the daily, I see James uh, out there smashing on the interwebs, trying to like raise the level of positivity out there and, and draw attention to folks who aren't uh, who aren't positive. And so, you know, I, I don't know the balance. I don't know if any of us have got the balance right, because if, if someone had the balance like perfect right now, I think that things would be evolving a lot faster. I find myself to ebb and flow back and forth between, God, you didn't just say that, did you too? Come on, bro, let's just hug it out. And so like I have a little bit of a bandwidth between, man, I cannot believe that just happened right through to yay team. So I don't think any of us have this perfect little finite point, this tiny little granular moment where we've got it so figured out that we don't move to the left or right on any particular subject. So I think within our own conversation today, we'll probably move around a little bit, but at least we're gonna hang around in a common space. And I think that's key, irrespective of where you are in the spectrum. If there's a bit of a delta between both parties, and that could be a party of 10, a party of a thousand, a party of one, it doesn't much matter. Trying to find that commonality so that you can move in the same middle ground as it were, and then start building the bandwidth out. Jans, can I, can I pose Absolutely. a question to everyone, including you? So to flip it on its head, how did we get to the point where seemingly there's so much division at the moment. I say seemingly because personally it feels like we're being presented a lot of the polarization and the average person is way more in the middle like we talked about. But through your eyes, how do we get to the point where toxic masculinity, toxic positivity, you know, if you're not on my camp, then you're an enemy. Like how, how do you think we got here the last few decades? That is an excellent question. Sean, I'm going to start with you. What do you think? <clears throat> I think we all got lazy. I think we let it happen. I think that uh, some people saw it uh, occurring and they just let it occur. I think some people didn't see it happening and then all of a sudden it was an ambush. But for the folks who did see it happening, I think we were, we were just a little bit complacent with it. We just kind of, we didn't fight back against it uh, either hard enough or soft enough or or hold it accountable, or we've just kind of let it slide to some degree where we're where we're at right now. And so these kind of conversations, as I see it, are the recognition that not that we've got to push back against anything. It's that we have to hold our ground and then form a uh, a form of communication that uh, allows us to like improve things. So I think we all just kind of got comfortable and kind of let it happen. Interesting, Matt. Thoughts? Um, I had this answer from James, but Sean kind of led into it. But you know the phrase, uh, hard times make hard people. Hard people make yeah. easy times. Easy times make easy people. Mm -hmm. I think we've gone from, from a hard time in the last couple of decades into an easy time the last decade. Uh, and now we're, we're, we are looking for something to latch onto to make it hard times again, right? Um, let's throw, I'm going to throw climate in here. Like I'm a, I'm a climate guy, but I'm not a climate activist. Like I recycle when I can, but I'm not like on people because you've used a plastic straw. Oh my goodness, right? Um, but 
there are people who do that and that's what they're looking for is that hard they're looking for something to fight for fight with right and if in, if you're not fighting with me you're fighting against me and that's where this toxicity communication of not understanding and balance and you know i'm right you're wrong i think that's where it's coming from we we've evolved as a society around the world especially with technology being so accessible and then we can like have conversations like this across the world right sean how are you doing well halfway across the globe right um that our voices now have a huge impact as an individual on a society versus where before you were just collective noise in the background right so i think that everyone is looking for a battle everyone's looking for something to stand up for but there's nothing there to really really bring people together as a collective it's always my way your way we're not together in the same way right and you can see that with all the stuff that's going on around the world how it's oh if you're if you're not this you're anti this or you're full this right insert whatever descriptive you want and People are looking for a fight. They just need to fight together for a common goal versus against each other. Having a common goal is, is definitely one of the issues. I think um, I think a lot of it has to do with social media, actually, more than anything, and not in the way that most people think, in that it's not that social media has spurred division. I think what it has done it has given people a bigger soapbox to yell from. And that's one of the big ones that I've noticed was that the fringes of of any particular topic used to be localized before you know the advent of the internet or anything like that if i was in town and i didn't like something that was going on i could you know organize a protest or i could organize some people to come and talk or i could go stand on a corner and put a sandwich board on me and start yelling the world is ending right but it would be localized whereas that fringe thought pattern or that um that uh, maybe that extreme of any one particular uh, topic, now I can find pockets of people that are thinking just like me all over the world, rather than just dealing with, you know, 10 or 15 people in my own neighborhood. So that, uh, that bell curve of, you know, on, a, on any particular issue, there's a bell curve across the planet, but when you have the small uh, minority on any one extreme side of that bell curve, <clears throat> it's now elevated to a, a much higher level. At least that's my thoughts on it. James, what do you, what do you think? One thing that really stands out to me, I sat down with um, Larry Doyle, um, actually ironically right before Hurricane Ian destroyed the island that he lived on and his house and everything hours before. So it was quite a poignant moment. And it was during that interview that my beloved German Shepherd died last year. So very, very powerful conversation in my mind. But Larry was one of the last journalists of, of that era where they were truly revered. And he was the first man to interview Nelson Mandela when he was released from Robin Island. So that level of trust, I mean, it speaks for itself. And I asked him, how do we how do we get here now with this division? And I'm talking left and right. You know, it's it's the same exact blueprint. One wears a blue tie, one wears a, a red tie. And he said, well, back in the day when he was working in, in media, yes, the, the news organizations would be owned by a company, but the company would have other companies that made money. And so the news was just the news. And then there was a reshuffling where they said, all right, the news needs to start making money now. And that is when we saw it shift from here's what happened today to and on Saturday, I even saw it when I went home in England recently in the BBC, it's shifted, you know, way, way more to one side now. But um, to now you need to make money so now the whole focus is on selling advertise, advertising space between news article one and news article two and so the only way that you can do that is to get people on the edge of their seats you know like a cliffhanger you know soap opera whatever it is so that they stay for the next portion so once the news was basically focused on making money between the news segments i think that was a huge shift and whatever you know, news station people subscribe to, they're still kind of trusting that for this is how the world is. And we've seen a complete devolution now, which obviously has bled into social media, where we're not getting news anymore. We're getting opinions, and you know, the screen divided in four, and four people arguing with each other, and interviewing people on the street an hour after murder. Hey, what do you think? I don't know. I wasn't even there. What are you talking about? To you know, to comparing it to how 
Walter, Walter Cronkite and you know BBC of, of yesteryear was where this is what happened. We're educating you. Here's the here's the pros. Here's the cons. So I think that the to me the beginning of this devolution and division comes from a lot of our news outlets shifting from news to you know making money. Entertainment, yeah. Sean, any further thoughts on this? I think you're right. I've seen the same thing myself. I, I haven't uh, clearly articulated that out to the general public as clearly as James did, but I do agree with that. I mean, I, there's no need to name any news agencies or media companies that are doing it really well, I suppose, which makes them kind of evil. Uh, but I mean, there's a number of them now, and it's not just one side or it's not just the other side. It's pretty much all of them nowadays. They're selling news. They're not even selling advertisement. They're selling news. And so um, it's, a, it's a hard thing to watch. And nowadays, it's hard to find independent reporting uh, that uh, you can trust. And so I find myself trying to follow independent uh, new sources and then having to cross-reference it about a dozen times against other independent news sources and then collate it or distill it all down into a singular soundbite for my head. But by the time you've done that, there's another 10 pieces that you've got to get to work on to try to ascertain what's actually going on in the world. And so I think I've almost become complacent in my tracking of what's going on in the world because it's hard to keep up with the volume of disinformation and the amount of distilling it requires to try to form uh, the, the truth of the matter, as it were. And so it's not that I've abandoned ship on the news. It's just that I don't track it as much as I used to anymore because I find it disingenuous. And, and, and I suppose... At the end of the day, that's not a terrible thing because, man, do we have to track the news that closely? I mean, I'd, I'd rather eat street food here in Malaysia than track the news. And I'd rather just ride my bike than track the news. I mean, I keep my eye on large geopolitical issues that are going to impact the world, but I'm not tracking all of the little, I'm not tracking all the, the, all of the tractor crashes around the world because they're amusing, they're not notable. And so I think that the, uh, the piece for me is, again, I haven't abandoned media, but I've certainly trimmed it down to a degree where uh, I'm, I have zero interest in the, uh, in the entertainment aspect of all the various uh, media agencies out there. You bring up a really good point there, and I, I think at least I kind of want to get into it because you're talking about critical thought. You're talking about like taking information in, pondering on it, checking with other people, <laughs> like, and confirming that it's, it, it's about what it is your, your, your first thoughts are, or changing as, uh, as new information is, is given. Um, and I, I think a lot of that, <clears throat> that comes from years of like practice, right? Like you can't just be like, Oh, okay. I'm going to be a critical thinker today and good to go <laughs> takes takes time takes development so i'm wondering do you think how do we i guess as a society now with all of this going on with all of the toxicity you kind of we're swimming in the soup of it right now how do we develop that critical thought how do we get others on board with say the collective how do we get people to stop and really think about anything that's going on matt i'm going to come to you first what do you think I think it's about education and I'm not talking about school education. I'm just talking about people need to learn honestly, how to be critical thinkers, how to do an analysis profile on certain things that are going around the world and not just get sold opinions. I think that's the big one. And, um, cause opinions is what the news is right now. And what's the information being passed around. It's not, it's not news really. It's how I, my opinion on this event, my opinion on tractor crashes, right? It's not necessarily, you know, here's some facts about um, tractors or whatever, right? Um, sorry, I got <laughs> obsessed with tractors all of a sudden. Um, but it's it's about educating people how to and that, that it's their right and their need. And they don't have to blindly follow like sheep to whatever focus needs to be that you are free to be able to go whatever path you want you want to be that elk and talk of the hill and look down on things do that you want to be inside that herd making sure things are going well be that right 
but you do have that option and flexibility to be able to move outside of your little circles. You do have permission and people don't think they do. They think they have to be part of X or X or Y or Z or, you know, one, two, three club. Um, it doesn't matter where you are. You just have to be a free thinker and you have to move forward for yourself with other people, not necessarily be that other person. That's an interesting point, James. Thoughts? I think even with all the interviews that you and I have done, um, if you start in the middle where everyone has a commonality, if you stand in Gaza right now and ask the men and women, hey, do you you know, want your kids to be safe? Do you want them to be clothed? Do you want them to be well-fed? Do you want them to see them play and, and laugh? Everyone's going to say yes, whatever their background, you know, religion, etc. And this is what we've lost. So we got to pull everyone back to the absolute middle and, and get people to question that. This, these things that I'm being told, are they slices of differences? And is there a 90% commonality that I'm missing? And I think if you come back down to commonalities, for example, the only real truth in Gaza is that there's absolute tragedy going on and humans are suffering. That's it. That's the, the truth. You know, same in Ukraine. You know, I mean... I wouldn't think that that many people in the country of Russia woke up going, man, I just want to invade a country today. You know, most people just want to get on with their life. So whatever the thing is that you're being told, if you can find yourself back to the center point, the zero, and then extrapolate out again, you're probably going to find a perimeter where you're like, okay, well, this is kind of, eh, um, you know. I'm a I'm a Buddhist and this is as far as I go, you know, I'm not going to go all the way into Christianity, whatever, but I see that we, you know, believe in a higher power and prophets and, you know, whatever it is. I think that's how you get back to critically thinking. But if you are, you know, pro-vax and that is it, arms folded, you know, and no, no one's going to change your mind, you're going to miss the fact that it's about human lives. That's what we're all sharing is and some people believe that a vaccination some people believe it's more on the health of the individual environment mental health and all these other elements but at the beginning is we do not want humans to suffer would i want this to occur in the four walls of my home no so i think that's what we have to do is pull people back i don't think you can critically think when you're in a state of anxiety anger etc so if you can come back to to zero to neutrality and then start pushing out you'll find the walls of your beliefs and that's fine but you'll realize that the Venn diagram of the person that you were supposedly against, you guys have this massive overlap and that's where you need to stay. I like that a lot, Sean. Thoughts? Yep. I think that uh, to Matt's point, everyone, myself included, has to learn to think um, uh, more critically or become better at critical thought. Uh, no matter how good you think you are, you just ain't good enough. And how do you figure if you're good at it or not? Well, you start talking to other people who are critical thinkers and evaluate whether you're actually good at critically thinking. And it's not a win or loss. It's not divisive on I can critically think and you can't. It's just a matter of contextualizing yourself against someone else who either does it better or worse. That's how we learn to become better at things. And so um, that's why I appreciate the collective, because it's not that our Venn diagrams are way out of whack right now. There's a lot of commonality here, but I still learn a lot of things through these multifactorial conversations where there's multiple personalities. If it's three or more people, um, if there's three of us on the show or, or five, uh, that's a whole lot better for me because I'm getting different feeds, different input, different reads, which helps build out my critical thought. Uh, next thing I'd like to say is we're in Malaysia right now, known as uh, probably one of the finest representations of the melting pot of uh, Southeast Asia. Um, in a day, actually in an hour, I can walk into a temple, I can walk into a church, I can walk into an ashram, I can, I can hit all of the religions, I can hit all of the ethnicities, I can walk down a street and eat food from 12 countries. And that's in a half hour walk, that's in a five minute walk. Uh, across the street, there's a guy who looks completely different than the guy across the street, but they're still nodding and getting along. As I walk down the street, everyone's warm and inviting and kind and honest and, and super legit. And everyone looks different and everyone talks different and everyone thinks different, except they don't. And except they aren't, because we're all just the same thing. It's that we have 
thrown on these little titles or these little masks or these little identities of, well, he's that and she's that and I'm this. And it just doesn't fly over here. Not at all. It's radically different than North America. Now, don't get it twisted. I'm not saying that it's Shangri-La over here. There's issues for sure. All around the world, there's issues. But over here, if any North American was to step over here and see through my eyes what I've seen for the last three weeks, everyone would understand that we need to do better in North America. So it's not like a global issue right now. It is to some degree, but it's quite North American centric right now in respect to divisiveness, certainly in Europe as well. But man, North America is struggling the hardest from my perspective, if I'm contextualizing against Malaysia. Uh, yeah, you bring up a really great point there. And the reason that I picked the for the title today was neutralizing toxicity was the fact that toxicity isn't just, you know, uh, male toxicity, or it's not just workplace toxicity. It's not just this, that it's not this thing or that thing or these things or the other things. It's the fact that there is a point where there is a buildup of toxins within the body, within the organization, within whatever it is you want to talk about. Within the vessel, there is a buildup of toxicity over time. And you can't just flip the script and be like, okay, well, now we're doing it the other way and go completely the opposite. You have to, as uh, James said, you have to bring things into the middle. So I'm wondering, do you think perhaps that the, the extent of the toxin that's going on right now is more just aligning towards the self versus the team because you know i mean here in canada it's pretty easy to get you know when you start to get people together when you start being like you know canada is either awesome and people stand up and be like yeah canada's awesome and you get people who say canada's not awesome and people stand up and say yeah it's not awesome but to to my uh to my question is is that a representation of just the self or do you think that that is a representation of of the the population at large, if that makes sense. James, I'm going to come to you. What do you think? I want to go back to to what you were saying as far as, um, you know, it, it's it's about community. I think we have lost self. Um, when you speak to people like Sebastian Junger, who wrote Tribe, and you, and you hear about some of the higher functioning, in his case, Native American tribes, what he focused on, the Iroquois, and they have like a leader for peacetime, the leader for wartime. And there's these stories of these, uh, you know, Europeans that were kidnapped by the uh, Native Americans, and then they were so-called rescued, and they were like, we don't want to go back. I actually prefer here. And I think that the real element is is tribalism in a positive way. I'm not talking about Liverpool and Manchester United stabbing each other in the 80s, which is what I grew up with, over 11 dudes in shorts. Very weird. Um, but uh, the the positive tribalism, so belonging to something, which is why I think Spartan races and CrossFit and Jiu-Jitsu and a lot of these positive, you know, communities that we kind of dive into now, that's the why, that's what's happening. And I think it's also that same, you know, shared suffering tribalism that we have in uniform is why it's so destructive when we when we leave and don't find another tribe uh, another tribe to go into. So our transition is is very very uh, rocky but i think that the that humanity that we found in the military in the first responder profession to me is what society needs you know and then when that toxicity happens in the military in the first responder professions in a fire department whatever it is that's why it's so crushing i think a lot of a lot of suicides the one element that behind it that a lot of people don't discuss is organizational betrayal when you have literally said i will die for my brothers and sisters in the fire department and then that greater organization betrays you that is the ultimate toxicity and that obviously can uh, reflect how society is in general so refinding that community we we like you said i think have become very self-serving in some respects and also we point they need to fix it i'll give you a perfect example I'll try and keep it brief we had a kid that was terrorizing this neighborhood where i live and it's a 30 mile an hour limit around this beautiful like communal sports area with the football pitch and basketball. So it's loads of kids riding bikes and walking and playing at 30 mile an hour around the ring road and then 25 mile an hour in the, the streets where we live. And this kid was tearing around. I'm not joking. 60 miles an hour. He almost wiped out in front of a school bus, a bus stop, you know, for the school bus one time where my son was there. And so I kind of reached out to the community 
And it was a lot of, they need to put speed bumps in. They need to do this. I reached out to law enforcement. One of my friends is uh, different zones. He reached out to the zone here, nothing. He said he didn't even get a response. So I was like, all right, well, I guess I need to fix it then. And so very long story, very short, did a load of research with the help of some people in the neighborhood, found this kid, tracked down his dad. He worked in a local dealership, visited him, sat down, said, hey, is this, you know, is this what your son drives? I'm here because I care. Your son is going to kill someone and or he's going to wrap himself around a tree. And we have a cross by a burned out tree down the road here from another kid that did that. And he immediately made a phone call, took his kid's keys away. I think it was it was for multiple months. And now that kid drives around super respectfully. So rather than expecting them to fix it, you fix within your own four walls of your home and then you step outside your front door in your community and you start trying to be a mentor, trying to make a difference there. If we all did that, not only would we create these tribes again, but all these little tiny pockets of this, you know, these little tiles of the mosaic as a whole, Canada, the UK, America, Australia, we would start to elevate our own countries too. Absolutely. Matt, you got any thoughts on this? No, I, I like I like what he was saying. James was saying about how <clears throat> taking responsibility and just taking that slight step outside of your own comfort zone to improve something that's going on around you instead of just barking about it and actually not doing anything. Right? Um, it's it's something that we do have to do is actually make those tribes. And I love how we're doing. We we made a tribe here with the collective and we're slowly growing as well and it's it's a mixture of different tribes too because right? we got police force we got firefighters military different countries all over the world right but we all kind of have that same tribal group effort mentality and moving forward with that i i think this should be something that everyone actually is exposed to and yeah operational or employee um, betrayal is something that is huge and i felt it when i was getting out too i felt literally just like kicked out you know see see you later months before i actually left years before i even left because it wasn't there was nothing there that i was anymore and i'm talking still to some of my friends who are still in now and they're just like dude it is not the same thing as it was and i think what it was a good part of it is that they, we started to create divisions we started to be able to use labels we started to be thems and theirs and um you know that side and this side and you can do this and but you can't do that and that started to create the animosity within that that in this institution and it is also what's going on within society we need to actually take a step back and do more positive tribalism versus i'm going to say a war or war uh council but more positive tribalism as a group and share our experiences as our tribe share is the key word there not just impose or demand people listen to us but share our perspectives of our tribes with other tribes both back and forth to learn and grow and develop is a bigger tribe and then a bigger tribe and then a global tribe and then i don't know galactic networking with aliens we can do that too i'm pretty sure at some point Absolutely. Sean, thoughts on this? Well, using James' example, what he did was he was responsible. He was showing responsibility for the moment. And by being responsible, trying to track down a way to find someone to be accountable for a better outcome, that's kind of the trick. I mean, you know, James could have picked up a phone and said, hey, uh, anyone in the neighborhood know this kid? And everyone shrugs their shoulders. And then James says, well, you know, I gave it a shot. I was responsible in the moment, but that ain't finding the accountability in the moment. So he kept pursuing for some level of accountability that would create a, a step change in the um, in the in the problem. And so I think that uh, where things kind of start to slip a little bit is people will perhaps be responsible or try to be responsible to fix things for a while but they don't, they're, they're not holding the other party accountable enough to create change. And here's why, because accountability is freaking uncomfortable, man. Like when you look someone square in the eye and say, hey bro, you can stop that right now. Like, unless you've done that a lot, 
it's uncomfortable to do it to someone and it's also uncomfortable for the other person. And so finding the right balance, depending on the timeline, depending on what the mission profile is, depending on the circumstances, depending on the relevance of the how it's going to affect one person or a million people. You know, there's a time and place where you've got to give it with velocity and there's a time and place when you kind of creep into it. But being responsible to try to create change isn't the same as creating accountability at the other end of that. And so I think the accountability piece is where people struggle because it is uncomfortable to create accountability. Yeah, I, I agree with that uh, 100%. And I, I think there's a there's a additional piece to this as well is that, uh, James, you said that you went in there and you talked to that kid's dad and you said, hey, I'm here because I care. I don't want this bad things to happen. Let's work together. That dude could have easily just said, move on, right? And it would have been off his list and he wouldn't even thought about it. And then you could have moved on to somewhere else, could have figured out another pathway, anything like that. But a lot of the times when we think about tribalism, we think tribes against tribes versus how do, how do we make tribe, how do we get tribes to work together? And I was thinking about this as you guys were talking was, I am an amalgamation of many tribes, right? As are you, as are everybody watching. We all have our own little tribes that we're part of. You know, I'm a jujitsu guy, I'm a veteran, I'm a family man, I'm blah, 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 all these things. All of them come together to make me who I am rarely do they actually fight one another. They usually complement one another. Like the ability for me to ride horses and the skill set that that takes complements my jujitsu as and vice versa. And I'm wondering, do you think that there are, do you think that perhaps that we're, because a lot of the, uh, the world doesn't realize how multifaceted they are, that we're seeing these, these tribes against tribes versus, um, versus being able to amalgamate within each other? Matt, I'm going to come to you first. What do you think? Yeah, with James' story, basically, it goes back to what he said before. He went back to the zero. He went back to the neutral. He went to the dude's dad. Instead of raising up a stink, it was zero. We care about life. Next step. This is your son. I have a son. Next step. And then it kind of elevated from that. I think more people should do that. Yeah. Uh, get back to zero and stuff. Um, and you're right, Chance, is that instead of having different clusters of tribes, which kind of like bounce off each other, they, we need to start talking. We need to be communicating more and actually start understanding and sharing. I love Sean's example when he's saying five minutes down the road, I can hit every religious institution around the world and everyone's cool with it, right? Uh, I think that that's a Malaysian, I'm going to say tribe itself, is that they are good to other people and that gets bounced back and forth. It is multiplicable, quantitative uh, kindness that just gets multiplied. And I think it should be more that we should be doing daily, right? Instead of just looking at a person like, oh, that's that kind of person. And it's like, hey, my name is, and just start a normal conversation. Like, hey, you got nice pink hair. I'm not a big pink fan, but that's really nicely done here, right? They could be that simple, right? It doesn't have to be something too extravagant. Absolutely. James, thoughts? I just went back to England and found myself in a situation that I remember viewing when I was eight, which is uh, Heathrow Airport. And you go to Heathrow Airport, it is the most beautiful, you know, just tapestry of cultures from around the world. Um, and then you go into London, you realize that that actually is what London looks like. And I love the fact that in the UK, we don't call ourselves, you know, African Americans or Irish American. We're just, you know, in that country, well, I'm English or I'm Scottish or I'm Welsh or I'm, and it can be all colors and creeds. But I was getting ready to, you know, check in, drop off my bags. And I was just in the line watching and all these cultures, either side of the desk, some were working that day, some were passengers that day, just interacting and smiling. And of course, not every passenger is in a good mood, you know, in an airport, but overall, they were just talking. They were people. There was this beautiful interaction, you know. I need to give you my bag because I'm going to get on your plane and, you know, I'm here to serve you. You know, this is my job and, uh, you know, this is what I do for a profession. And that was the commonality, who they worship, who they sleep with, the pigmentation of their skin, 
was completely irrelevant. And I always love that. And if you watch the film Love Actually, there's a scene at the very beginning, a scene at the end. And it's just that, you know, when I came to the UK, there was a, a Muslim mother. I don't know which country she was from, but she had, I think, like one or two kids and trying to push one of those airport carts that you have to hold the lever to move it forward through the customs area where they narrow you down to this little tiny door. Um, and so, you know, just grabbed it and you know, helped her through. And then there was her husband or boyfriend beaming, waiting for him. I gave him the cart and then I went off. But that moment was just like, we're just people like she's a mother. You know, and, and her children and whoever's on the other side has probably not seen her for a day, a week, a month, a year. And they're just excited to see their loved one. And that is that is the beautiful, like I said, tapestry that is humanity. And these nuances, these differences are what make life beautiful. But the moment you go, oh, you're wearing a hijab. I don't like you because of X, Y and Z. Or, you know, you're a scout leader and I know what scouts did, you know, whatever it is, you grab onto that thing of which there's always an element of truth, but you can't tar an entire group of people because of this one thing that happened, you know? So this is what I see. And coming from the UK where I grew up in a, in a farm in Bath was not very diverse. But then when you go into the cities in, in the UK, it becomes far more diverse. And just like Sean was saying in Malaysia, England, you know, you can. I had this most beautiful interaction getting some drugs from my dad from the local chemist and these two women from, I think, was it Guyana? I think, but they were of Indian descent and they were hilarious. I mean, just this is this is the world we actually live in. You know, we are diverse. And if you go back to my history, like my country was raped and pillaged by Vikings and Danes and Romans and you name it, you know, so we've all got triumph and tragedy in our lineage, but all we have is today. And today we are surrounded by incredible humans. I'm, I'll get off my soapbox now. But again, if we can get back to zero, we can see that shared hu humanity and then celebrate the differences as long, of course, as they're not hurting other people. That, that is the trick, right, Sean? Thoughts on this? Well, that is the trick. And fortunately for James, he has a few tricks up his sleeve. He knows how to communicate. He knows it, how to interact with people that he doesn't know and he he's learned how to do it quickly he's learned how to do it the right way but not everyone has that skill in fact i will push back uh, against you chance and say not everyone in fact probably far less than you think have all of these little tribes that they're in during covid there was only one tribe because no one was doing anything else except whining you're either this side or that side no one else was doing anything else. You weren't doing all the jujitsu. You weren't a cowboy. You weren't this. You weren't that. You weren't anything except your side, period. And I'm generalizing now, but that's the case, generally speaking. And so from that point to now, it hasn't like, it's, it's not like Harry Potter. Everything just went magically back to normal. And all of a sudden you're in 47 tribes again. You're not. If you were to try to list out 10 right now, I bet you couldn't because you've probably got three or four main ones, and then you might have, maybe do a pottery class once, a, twice a year, I don't know. But that doesn't mean that you're now a potter. I've referenced Harry Potter, but that doesn't mean that you're a potter. And so I think you would be probably shocked about how one-dimensional the world has become since post-COVID. And it's only starting to build itself back again. The guy who used to play a lot of badminton, well, maybe he's just edging his way back into badminton again, and so on and so forth. So it isn't as three-dimensional as I think you think it is. And certainly in North America, I don't see a, a ton of three-dimensionality. Sure, there's, there's people who, who have many things on the go, many tribes on the go. They've got all the things on the go, but that is not the norm. And why do I think that? Because I see it on the daily with people who don't know how to communicate with each other. They don't have enough tribes within themselves to be able to rapidly say, hey, bro, I dig that. Or, hey, man, it happened. Chance, you saw it in a live chat. I was in a coffee shop uh, just up in Kuala Lumpur. Guy walks in, and I'm referencing this because James said Liverpool. Guy walks in, sits down next to me. I look at him and said, Hey, buddy, where are you from? And he said, Liverpool. I said, ah, Liverpool, I'm from Barnsley. And he said, Barnsley, now we're talking soccer. Now we're talking this. Now we're having a few laughs. He's a golf caddy. He's going over to do this, that in Vietnam. And I was like, oh, yeah, I was in Vietnam. We, 
our family and blah, blah, blah. You got to go here. You got to try that. Make sure you eat this. And he's like, oh, yeah, well, when you go there. So in 10 minutes, we weren't quite the best of friends, but we had found commonality to be able to talk rapidly back and forth based on our very broad life experiences across a multifaceted tribal situation. And so that does not happen in North America as much as I think a lot of people think. You walk into a coffee shop, very few people look each other in the eye. Very few people walk over and say, do you mind if I sit here? How you doing? What's that? And break into a natural conversation. It is not common. It's either because North America is too busy or North America is whatever, but I am not seeing what you're suggesting chances. Everyone's so multidimensional that it's bing, bang, boom, and all of a sudden you're holding hands and singing kumbaya like your best friends. That is not the case. Please tell me I'm wrong, and I'd love to believe it, but that is not what I'm seeing. No, I think you're, I think you're right. And uh, I, I was using a generality for sure. And I think that the, uh, <clears throat> as you guys were talking, it reminded me of the fact that, you know, where my, where my family comes from down in rural southern Alberta, <laughs> it is not diverse, right? It is full of farmers and ranchers that have been there for three, four, five generations that they've never left, right? They grew up surrounded by the same people. They did the same things every day. So there's no real diversity of not only thought or action, but rarely is there an actual diverse um, population, put it that way. And the, uh, to your point, Sean, they don't have a lot of external thought other than what works on the ranch, what works on the farm. This is what I need to do. This is how it works. And it's a, it's a day-to-day -day grind of the same thing every day over and over and over again every year. Uh, and so the question I'm wondering is, how do we reach those people? Because for the collective, like this, being able to bring in people with lots of diverse backgrounds and lots of thoughts, patterns, and uh, different experiences through the, throughout their lives, uh, you know, it's not the easiest task, but I can find people on the internet to bring onto the show, like Matt and like James and, you know, like us, all these things. But how do we reach the people in really hardened uh, environments as a, as a, I guess, an example is like, if you have a rancher that's been on the ranch for four generations and he's never left, how do we reach that person and say, Hey man, you know, we're all just common people. <laughs> how, do we, how do we, how do we bridge that gap between multifactorial to singular and get, you know, get, it, get the conversation going? James, I'm going to come to you first. What do you think? I would say, firstly, a lot of the people that are just getting on with their life, we don't need to get to. I don't think they're the ones, you know, jumping on Twitter and declaring their love for whatever. You know, they're too busy working and trying to feed and raise their children. So, and I think that, you know, that in itself is a tribe. You know, I mean, farming, for example, you know, the, the monocrop, you know, destruction of our arable land versus, you know, the the um, the more holistic way we've done it forever. I mean, there's so much knowledge. So, so bringing those people as experts in their field into the fray as, you know, this is how we move forward environmentally and, and health wise. So, but as far as bringing everyone together, I think it's, it's the ones that are already on the phones, the ones that are already glued to Fox or CNN or, you know, whoever um, are the ones that are, the biggest problem and therefore you can use those same screens and devices to change it so i think that for me part of it and i'm actually writing the second book that i want to make into a tv show for that one reason like this is where we're all glued to all of us myself included televisions you know phones for it might be you know 30 minutes a day it might be 30 hours a week you know whatever it is but that's how we access not many of us are picking up books these days um, I struggle to read, you know, I do read, but it's not like the, as easy as just, oh, let me hit start on Netflix. So I think that, you know, there can be a paradigm shift where we start putting community and compassion and empathy and kindness back into the center. And I really feel that there is actually a desire. And I agree, post-COVID, we were in such a void, you know, and a lot of us, again, during the entire pandemic, we're standing in the middle going, look, this is the perfect opportunity to make our country healthier. We have an obesity epidemic. We have a mental health crisis. 
And it was so maddening because nothing got done, you know. So we missed that captive audience moment and shame on everyone that was, you know, at the helm at the time. But I think there's people are tired of cheesy, you know, television filled with commercials that their kids, you know, 20 minutes of commercials every hour of children's TV, for example. So I think that there is a potential. I think the bow has been pulled back. We just have to get the right people and not individuals, communities, like all these echo chambers that we're all a part of rising up and, you know, just putting it out there, you know, tribalism and, and healthy eating and exercise and mindfulness and sleep and time in daylight and all the things that everyone was told not to do during the pandemic, all the healthy things, um, and put that to the, the forefront. Because I think, you know, we don't need to change everyone. I think a lot of people are functioning as they did 100 years ago when I would argue communities were pretty healthy back then and the way we ate, the way we moved, the way we loved. So the same devices and dissemination of extremism and i mean that in whether it's political views or whatever that have caused a lot of this toxicity that we talked about earlier in the conversation i think we can use those same medium to really inspire and elevate and, and unite people um but we have to fight to get the right people you know front and center now and the thing is that the good the good people of the world don't really want to be on a screen holding a microphone they just want to help you know but if we can have a kind of force a paradigm shift of community and kindness and the real leaders of the world you know step up just a little bit more maybe challenge the way that we choose some of these people in some of these um countries and go hey you know it seems like you have to be a millionaire and you have to have no ethics to be in charge of this country can we change the way we choose that a little bit so we can include real leaders would that be okay just <laughs> just conversations like that otherwise you know Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. We have to change. Um, we missed that amazing opportunity. But I think the pandemic also showed us that so many people who have been paid to be leaders can't. Full stop. Failed miserably. So now I think it's a time for the real people to step up and go, look, we tried that. Didn't work, did it? You know, we're, we're worse now. We're fatter. We're sicker. We're more depressed than we were three years ago. Can we try something different? Yeah, that, that is a that is a bit of a struggle when you have leadership positions without leaders in them. <laughs> That's a tough one. Uh, Matt, you got any thoughts on this? Oh, I'm 100% down with what James just said. And <clears throat> right from where he was talking about the individuals who are just doing their life, being just living, like they're in their own tribe, let them, they're doing their thing. That's cool, right? But, but when you start doing, get an old bulletproof behind one of these things and you're commenting 20% 20, 20 of your day, what's going on and actually not giving any value or growing and moving past or forward what the initial thoughts were and you're just recycling you're not actually communicating what's actually going through your process and it's that's where the flaw happens i believe and people need to learn how to be able to communicate better uh, i'm in i'm in school right now we're doing a lot of presentations and stuff. And a lot of people are like, oh, I'm an introvert. I don't know how to talk, you know, and, but it's a learned skill. And that's one thing I've been teaching, teaching them. I've been teaching them uh, is it's experience and you have to get out of your comfort zone and take a risk. And you could be as introverted as you, you ever want to be. Like I am one of the most introverted persons in that classroom. I will sit in the corner in the dark and I will listen for an hour and a half and not say boo. But when it's like, hey, Matt, come up and talk about this, I'm got everyone's ears and they're listening and they're you know interacting because it's a learned skill. And that's something that we've lost as a society because we we do have, you know, quick, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I'm done. I don't have to worry about the response like until six hours later. That's kind of where the, uh, the flaw is. And I'm not bashing accessibility of information because of technology i'm all for it i think we should be sharing everything within reason um with other people for the benefit benefit of society and the human species and not just making divisions and setting their own agendas and stuff and i'm 100 percent down with what james said about the three years that we kind of should have took action, but we kind of didn't, you know, we kind of just didn't do the right thing. hundred percent. Like we do have the, the, my personal view, I'm not going to get too much into it, but the obesity 
academic is worse than what whatever just happened. And that's, just, I think, takes more lives and slows down more people within the world than anything that's been going on recently. So if we can, like you said, get rid of the managers and put in leaders, I think things would be better for a growing a society versus just being stagnant like we are right now, just repeating what someone else says. Yeah, absolutely. Sean, thoughts? Well said, James. Well said. The entirety of it was well said. So now what? Now what do we do? Well, here we are. We're trying to make a change. We're trying to talk about these things just as James delivered, that that was righteous. And so by adding our voices to James' voice, that is now at least a handful of us all agreeing. And now what? So do we just keep building on the agreement? Do we just keep, do we then become our own little echo chamber of we all agree with James without any critical thought? I don't think so because we're all critical thinkers. And as I said before, if I'm the best critical thinker in the world, I need other good critical thinkers around me to ensure that my critical thinking is properly calibrated. I am tired of saying it countless, countless times to the internet. I don't have much figured out, and that's why I rely on my friends to keep me calibrated. I ask on the regular, boys, am I on point with this? Boys, am I off base with this? Should I keep smashing? Should I dial it back? Should I pick up the pace? What do you see from the external perspective? I hold myself double accountable. I hold Sean accountable, then I hold myself accountable to the team by asking the team to hold me accountable. I think that's what we're supposed to do with the overarching theme being just try to be a positive agent of change within this world that we're all commonly sharing at the moment. And so again, well said, James, but what do we do from this point to build off of what you said? Well, this is, uh, this is the trick, right? I think, I think the collective is part of it for sure. This is part of, uh, part of the expansion of the ideas. And there is a question here in the comments that I want to hit on that goes directly to your thought pattern, Sean, and I'm going to pose it to the the panel and then we'll we'll have to do some final thoughts after that but so i'm gonna hit these real quick daniel morning gents good to see you daniel satch good morning evening team good to see you satch vanessa chaos good day everybody and then she jumps in and says uh, the panel seems to have a lot of experience in approaching a vast array of tribes would you have tips on how to learn that skill of course there's just do it <laughs> learn more about different topics etc but i do want to po pose it to you is that in terms of what sean just said is yes Everything we're saying is true, yes, but now what? How do we, where do we go from here? Matt, I'm going to start with you. What do you think? Just do it. No, um, it's communication. It's, it's, it's expressing you what your, your interest and why you're interested in a certain tribe, right? What, what are you going to bring into it and what are you expecting to get from it? I think an open conversation back and forth and not just jumping into it and, and uh, assuming something, assuming an outcome. I think communicating on what's going to happen is a perfect first step. And then you can assess back to you know critical thinking, assess if that's a tribe that you want to be part of, or if it's the values of it is something that re reflects and relates to you. And if you can give stuff to that tribe as well, I think it's that communication. Communication is a lost art. And I think, that is one of the things that we should be focusing on. Absolutely. James, thoughts? When I look at that question, it's a good question, by the way. Thank you. Um, I think of when people haven't done the work. So, for example, um, you know, people in the fitness world, some other so-called experts come into the fire service and, uh, you know, they get out of Swiss ball and their stretchy bands and they're in the Lycra and be like, this is what you guys need to do. And then you take a step back and go, right, these are people that go from a dead sleep to putting on sometimes 100 pounds worth of gear, climbing, you know, 20 stories in a high rise and then, um, you know, then going to work. So there's a disconnect and there's a, um, there's, a, there's a lack of education on what we actually do. Now, conversely, I think that you can actually... Um, hold on a second. I'm going to pass it over to, to someone else. I'm sorry. I got someone standing Absolutely in my no door. Sean, go ahead. What do you think? 
well, hopefully it's not a firefighter in full gear about to go all climb a tower on him. Exactly. Uh, so <laughs> I think the, um, to answer Vanessa's question, I'll, I'll say this, that, and, and this is a spin-off of what Matt was saying. First of all, you've got to start, and, and I'm not suggesting this specifically to Vanessa, this is a generalization to anyone who's listening. First of all, you've got to establish you need to be curious. You've got to have curiosity in the world around you. And if that means like just outside of your front door beyond your fence, that's curious enough for now. But if you can start traveling, like if your idea of what the world means is the West Edmonton Mall, holy cronkamoly, you've got to do better than that. You've got to be more curious about the larger world around you in order to understand there's better ways to live in this world. So you've got to have curiosity. Next, you've got to learn how to engage with other human beings, as Matt said. So curiously engage with everyone around you. Listen, unless you're standing really still and I don't notice you, there's a high probability that I'm going to talk to you. If you move your arm like to adjust your hat and I see that motion, now I'm going to talk to you because the moment I see something, I want to talk to it. I want to figure it out. I want to learn more about the thing that's moving in front of me or off to my flanks. So you have to be curious and you have to engage. And it's that engagement part that is tricky. You've got to like commit to a conversation with another human being and see where it goes. You know what? They're not all home runs. Not all home runs, but the only way that you're going to learn how to crack that ball out of the park is to start swinging. So pick up a bat and start smashing. I like it. James, would you like to uh, carry on? Yeah, sorry about that, but that's actually perfect. It was um, three kids from the neighborhood that had found a dog loose and were going door to door to find out if it was their dog. So there's community for you right there. Beautiful. Um, now, what I was going to say, though, that was the disconnect when you don't know about this tribe that you're trying to enter. But then conversely, I mean, I've had such a diverse group of people on my show from obviously firefighters and military through to boy soldiers from Sierra Leone and Auschwitz survivors and dancers and models. And, and again, starting at that commonality, absolutely educate yourself. If you're trying to enter a different tribe, you need to know something about it. But no one's expecting you to be an expert in that. But just know enough where you can start building some bridges, but then start at those commonalities start your two human beings and then you again push out you know okay we both like fitness we both like martial arts we both like jujitsu but you're a third degree black belt and i'm a white belt and that's where you know okay that's the the barriers there but i think understanding that no matter who you're trying to interact with there's still a human being and then if you show that you've learned something about that tribe that's a sense of respect then that you've put in the work that then i think builds more bridges yeah, I could not agree more. I think uh, to uh, Sean's question a second ago and to Vanessa's question, it it aligned perfectly, but I think it really comes back down to <clears throat> bring yourself back to the common denominator, right? You can't expect other people to do it for you. You can't expect other people to do it uh, just in general. It starts with you. So for me, when I enter a new conversation, I have to bring myself I don't go in with all of my pre-thoughts and cognitions. It's just like when, uh, Sean, you know, when we were talking about the show, you, you come in, blank, let the uh, the guest set the tone, okay, interesting, and then dive into the conversation. And I think that's really what it is, not only at a personal level, but that will expand to the societal level, at least in my thoughts. So we're a little bit over an hour now. Really do appreciate the conversation, Matt, James, Sean. Thank you, guys. Really do appreciate it. It's fantastic. Um, any final thoughts? Anything at all? Matt, we'll start with you. Um, three key, three key takeaways from this conversation today is bring everything back to base zero, right? Uh, critical thinking and broaden your knowledge base around you. Just don't focus on one thing and learn to communicate with others. That's the three main takeaways from this conversation today. Bam. Nice. James thoughts, final thoughts. I'm going to be inspired by these kids. You either can complain about what's not being done or you can roll up your sleeves and start doing something, whether it's in your own home or step outside your doorstep. So understanding you have the power to force change, you know, that you might be one ant and the rest of ants aren't paying attention or you band them together. Now you're moving mountains together. So 
you know, as uh, I think it was the movie The Power of One, um, every waterfall begins with a single drop of water. Be that drop. Bam. I like it. Sean, final thoughts? Well, I'm going to cheat and I'm going to go with um, be inspired by what James just said when he uh, when he launched into not quite a diatribe. It was a good, <laughs> solid effort where he covered a lot of uh, subjects there in a, just a handful of minutes that were like a, um, were so legit that I'm still like processing it. And I think that's the key, man, is um, never think that you've got everything figured out. There's always something to learn from someone else. And, and you'll only understand that if you can keep an open mind. If I was sitting here in the seat wanting to win or wanting to be the man or wanting to run the conversation or want to outshine everyone, uh, that'd be just really dumb. And that would be not only insulting to the person who's uh, communicating with me, who's offering up their wisdom, it'd be really dumb because I'm, I'm fighting myself by not listening and not keeping an open mind. So uh, I'm, I'll, ha I'll be chewing on what James said for a couple of days, uh, and I think everyone should as well. So my takeaway or my final point is uh, never think that you've got it all figured out. Always keep an open mind. That is a great final thought. The uh, <clears throat> the thing that keeps rattling around inside my head is that it takes two to tango. In that you you, <laughs> you have to, uh, if you want things to change, you have to do it on yourself. If you want to communicate with people, it, it you can communicate at people. But if you really want to communicate, it takes two people to communicate, at least in my mind. And I think that is uh, the key thing that I'm taking away from this is that I can do the work, I can engage people, and in order to better my tribe, in order to better the people around me, I have to figure out a way to get them to engage with me as well in that back and forth. Otherwise, um, it's just me talking at people, and I don't want to talk at people. <laughs> I want to communicate with people all around the place, and I'm going to start by learning, and then I'm going to build on that, and then I'm going to grow every day with us here on The Collective. We'll see you all tomorrow. Chimo. Chimo. Chimo.